Amen. Turn to John 3.16. John 3.16 is our text today. John 3.16. If you're there, say amen. John 3.16. And last Sunday, we started a, a new stewardship series entitled, It's All His. Everyone say that. It's all his. Now, in this series, we won't be going through a specific book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, like we usually do. This is more of a topical series, and we'll be studying from specific verses and specific passages. Now, the title of last Sunday's message was God Owns It All. Everyone say that? And I gave you two points. I want to give you a brief recap on last week's message. The first point, you might remember this, was ownership. Say ownership. That God is the creator of all things, right? Therefore, he owns everything. Therefore, everything belongs to him. If you got it, say got it. It's all his. Say it's all his. He owns everything. His right of ownership, this now, is absolute. And by the way, we would all be much happier and, and joyful if we would embrace the truth that God owns it all. And because he owns it all, listen now, he has all of the rights to what he owns, Anything and everything you and I have belongs to him. Now, because God created everything, that means God created us, right? He made us. Now, if we're saved, if you're saved, say amen. We can say that God redeemed us. Not only created us, but that God redeemed us. He bought us with the greatest of all prices in the death of his son on the cross as our sin bearer. Now, Jesus Christ paid the price of sin and death so that you and I, this and now, could be set free. Now, now follow me here. Since God has created us and since God has redeemed us, he has a double claim on our lives. Got it? We are doubly his. By both creation and redemption, God has divine ownership over us. And what God is simply saying is you're mine because I made you and you're doubly mine because I redeemed you. Therefore, we and all that we have belongs to him forever. And he has absolute divine ownership of and authority over our lives. And since you and I, since we belong to Jesus, we are obligated, say obligated, obligated to devote ourselves wholeheartedly and unreservedly to him. So point number one of last week was ownership. Say ownership. The second point of last week's message was stewardship. Say that. Unless we understand God's absolute ownership and see our relationship to him as owner, we cannot approach nor understand the subject of biblical stewardship. Well, what's the definition of stewardship? Well, here we go. It's the practice of managing properly all, say all, that God has entrusted to me. Let's make it personal. Let's do it again together. Here we go. The practice of managing properly all that God has entrusted to me. That's the definition of stewardship. It's simply one who manages the possessions of another. Stewardship defines a person's relationship to God, it identifies God as owner and that person as manager. Now, I want you to write this down. I gave, to this, gave you this last week, but it's, it's, it's an amazing verse that's pertinent to today's and the rest of this series. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, say trust, must prove faithful. I'm going to read that again. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust 
must prove faithful. The King James renders it like this. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The Amplified Bible renders it like this, proving him or herself worthy of trust. The word trust here encompasses all the resources, abilities, and opportunities given to us by God and that we manage those resources, abilities, and opportunities in a way that is spiritually wise and spiritually profitable. You see, the things you think you own are on loan. Are you guys with me? God's just been gracious enough to lend it to you to let you manage it. Now, since God is the possessor of everything, it means as Christians we can never rightfully speak of owning anything. The truth is, friends, okay, you're not an owner. You're simply a steward. God, own, listen, God is the owner of all that exists. Now, listen, one day, say, say one day, one day each one of us will be called to give an account, an account for how we have managed the resources, the abilities, and the opportunities God has given us. We will all, listen now, give account to the rightful owner as to how well we manage the things he has, God has, entrusted to us. So church, we need, we need to get out of the business of ownership and get into the business of stewardship. Now that we understand what stewardship means, we can now move on to the areas of stewardship. The title of my message today is A Call to Giving. Everyone say that. In today's message and next week's message, the focus, the focus is going to be on our treasures. Our treasures. In other words, our giving, our money, our tithing. Now I know that whenever I talk about money, which is not often, I realize this is a, this is a sore spot uh, with many people. But we have to also realize that it's also a sore spot with God, but in an entirely different way. Follow me here. For the most part, we don't have a problem with giving as long as we can give an amount that we're comfortable with. The problem is that that puts us in control of our finances instead of letting God take control of our finances. In today's message and next week's message, I hope you will hear God's heart, His heart, about what His Word says about giving. Now I want to tell you, my goal here is not to guilt you into giving. My goal is not to manipulate you into giving. My goal here is to help you see that giving is very much a part of the Christian life. And to help you see, especially that the issue of giving, the issue of tithing, is a blessing, not a burden, okay, nor is it something to be afraid of. You see, when, when we understand God's word about money and his provision as you and I handle his money, then giving and tithing bring blessings from him. And we live with freedom, not with fear. And I don't know about you, okay? I don't know about you, but I'll take freedom over fear any time of the day. Yeah? Listen, God wants us to get past our fear of giving and our fear of tithing. See, some of you here, you view it as giving up something. When you give as giving up something, while God views it as the, listen now, the outpouring of a generous and loving heart. So which one do you seem to have more frequently? Put it this way. 
If a farmer has tons of seed, ton of seed, where will it do him the most good? In the barn or out there planted in the field? Well, if he keeps it in the barn, it will never what? Never increase. A matter of fact, friends, with mice and moisture, it could actually decrease. But if that farmer plants his seed, sows his seed, that seed will grow and a harvest of even more abundance will be produced. The more seed he sows, the more he will what? Produce. That very same principle is the principle of giving. And friends, if you give freely without holding back, God will bless you. God will reward you. If you're afraid to give, okay, what you know you should for any reason, you won't receive any blessings. You won't receive any rewards. Friends, the fact is the Bible talks, talks a lot about money and how we are to handle it, or in some cases, how it handles us if we're not careful. Now, I believe the main reason the Bible talks so much about money, about giving, about our treasures, is because it goes right to the heart of, of where we live, who we are, and what's most important to us. Yeah? So what I want to communicate to you today and next Sunday is tithe or go to hell. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. All right, just kidding. Or am I? Or am I? I'm just kidding. Now, now, now why did I choose the month of December, the most expensive month of the year, to preach on this subject of giving? Why? Because this is a month that you and I, that we believers, celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which brings us to point number one. Here we go. Number one is this, the supreme giver. Say that. The supreme giver. And I want you to look at our text this morning, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? So for God, say God. For God so loved the world. That's the greatest love. That he gave his one and only son. That's the greatest gift. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the greatest hope. Greatest love, greatest gift, greatest hope. Notice it begins with God. Say God. God loved the world. He loved the world that he gave. God saw there was a need in this world. And as he saw there was a need in this world, he made provision for that need. What did he do? He gave his one and only son. Write this down, 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Listen, friends, there is no greater sacrifice, no greater gift than this. And you see the measure, or, or should I say the value of love is always its willingness to give. It, its capacity for sacrifice to the objects it loves. God gave out of his love, okay? He didn't keep his son himself. Could have, but he didn't. He gave his son. He gave all that he had for us. God is a generous God. Would you say that? Now say with more enthusiasm. God is a generous God. He is. He's a giver. He's a supreme giver. Now I want you to think about Think about this, okay? Through his common grace, say, say common grace. This is what God gives to non-believers and what God gives to 
believers. Through his common grace, he, God, gives mankind the ability to breathe, to live. Go like this. Breathe out. That's common grace. The ability to breathe, the ability to live. Through his common grace, he gives mankind, listen now, the ability to, the ability to make money, to, to work, to have a family. He gives mankind talents. He gives mankind creation. Yeah? Okay, to enjoy the beauty of creation, to enjoy the sunshine and the rain. That's common grace. In fact, Matthew 5.45 says this, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's common grace. Again, God gives this to non-believers and believers, but there's something far greater than common grace, and that's saving grace. Say saving grace. Let's go back to the text again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever, here we go, whosoever, whosoever believes in him shall not what? Perish, but, what, but have what? Have everlasting, eternal life. So God gave his son, right? He gave his son, and those who believe in his son won't perish. Won't perish but have everlasting, eternal life. That's saving grace. Now, if that's you, if you're saved, say amen. Okay, if that's you, now that you have saving grace, okay, now that you're saved, God gives you grace. God gives you mercy. God gives you love. God gives you forgiveness. God gives you strength. He gives you hope. He gives you joy. He gives you wisdom. God gives you, listen now, his comfort, his peace, his power, his presence, a purpose for living. God gives you spiritual gifts. Above all, God gives you heaven. Right? Gives you heaven. Now, remember, God created us, right? Right? Okay, he created us, and if we're saved, he not only created us, he what? Redeemed us. So we're doubly his, right? Well, guess what? You have common grace, right? But if you're saved, you have saving grace. So you're not only doubly his, you're doubly blessed. Got it? You're doubly blessed. Matthew 7, 11. If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God is the supreme giver. He's a generous God. You see, giving, listen now, and if you study the word of God, if you study the word, you'll, you'll, you'll come to the realization and conclusion that giving is, a, is at the heart of the gospel. It's, the, it's at the heart of God and should be at the heart of every single believer. God is the infinite and perfect giver. Giving, listen now, friends, is at the center of who he is. And because giving is inerrant in his character, when we, you and I, when we give, we identify with him and reflect his likeness. We are more like him. We are more like God when you and I, when we give. Okay? Number two is the importance of giving. Say that. Write that down, the importance of giving. Because there's so much, so much significance in giving. It's, it's just as important as singing and, and praying and learning about God's word. Let me show you how important giving is. I want you to write these down. The word heaven, say heaven. The word heaven in the King James is mentioned 582 times in the Bible. 
The word hell, say hell, is mentioned 54 times. 54 times in the Bible. The word pray, say pray, in any format is mentioned over 500 times in the Bible. The word faith, say faith, or its variations is used 246 times in the Bible. The word hope, say hope, is used 185 times in the Bible. And the word love, say love, is used 733 times in the Bible. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think that God would have gone through all of the trouble of making sure all of those references were in his word unless he actually meant for us to adhere to them, to pay attention to them? Listen, church, when God repeats himself, and he does a lot through his word, when God repeats himself, it's only for one purpose, and that is to let us know just how serious he is about our doing whatever it is he's talking about. Now, with that in mind, let me tell you how many times the word give or giving is mentioned or used in the Bible. The word give or giving is mentioned or used, here we go, 2,285 times in the Bible. In fact, the whole chapter of Numbers, chapter 7, talks about giving. Listen, the Bible talks more about give and giving than any of faith, hope, and love. Why? Because giving is an expression of faith, hope, and love. In fact, Jesus spoke more about giving than any other subject. And that's how important giving is. Why do you suppose God mentioned it that many times? Why? Listen now, to make us focus on giving, to be givers just like him. And that being said, if you're a believer if you're born again a child of God, then giving is going to become a way of life for you. As I said earlier, when you give, you're identifying with God. You're reflecting his likeness. And the more you give, the more you become like him. There is no, listen, there is no worthier goal than to give like he gives. So what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. Be a giver. Be a giver. Okay? Want to be like God? Why, why, there's, you can hear the crickets here. What's going on? Uh, huh? you, want, you, want, you want to be like God? Do you want to be like God? It's not a rhetorical question. You want to be like God? Yeah. Then be a giver. And, and I have some folks that tell me, hey, Pastor, I want to be like God. I said, be a giver. Be a giver. Amen? Number three, here, the giving of self to God. The giving of self to God. As a believer, you got to get this now. One of the first and foremost essentials in giving is giving of self to God. And if one gives oneself to God, then it follows that everything one has belongs to him. Listen, if you have not taken the first step, if you have not given your whole self to God, if you have not totally surrendered your whole self to God, okay, a, a total yieldedness to God, okay, if, if, if you have not done that, then naturally the next step won't be possible. Follow me. As long as you consider your life your own, 
There can be no real Christian stewardship. No real, listen, no real understanding of the importance of giving. If stewardship is to have any meaning at all in our lives, my life, your life, okay, you must, we must come to this point of total surrender. Because you can be saved and still not totally surrender to him on a daily basis. Yeah? And you know, as believers, we often say that we have dedicated our lives to God, friends. But if we're honest, many times we don't show it by our actions. And you see, your, your, your pocketbook and, and your wallet is the acid test of the reality of your surrender. And by the way, the Bible makes it very clear. The believer's use of money is a test, listen now, of the reality of his or her profession and his or her love for God. I want you to write this down. I'm going to read it to you. Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, verses 19 through 21. Some of you might be familiar with this passage. And Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen to what he says in verse 21. For where your treasure is, okay, your money, there your heart will be also. Notice what Jesus said. He says, your heart follows your money, not the other way around. Hey, hey, listen, if your heart is with the kingdom of God, if your heart is with the kingdom of God, then your use of money and wealth will reflect exactly that. Because when our treasure is in heaven, our treasure is in heaven, then that's where our heart is. Now, if Jesus could say this in modern terms, he would say, show me your checkbook, your visa statement, your debit Card receipts, your Apple Pay, Venmo, Zelle, and I'll show you where your heart is. Again, there's crickets in this house, right? Okay. When Christians say, I want more of a heart for God's kingdom, Jesus says, put your money in God's work and your heart will fall. In other words, put your money where your heart is. Question, do you really, really care about eternal things? Think about it. Do you really, really care about eternal things? And if you do, okay, you'll reallocate your money from temporal things to eternal things. You see, God wants your heart, okay? He wants your heart. He wants all of you. And if you invest in eternal things in the kingdom of God with your money, then God has all of you. Are you guys with me? Question, what does your treasure say about your heart? What does it say about your heart? Because that will reveal the reality of your surrender. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, just write it down. I'll read it to you. But this is an amazing verse here because the Macedonians who were not wealthy, they were not rich. The Macedonians gave far beyond the expectation of the Apostle Paul toward the offering for the saints because they, the Macedonians, listen now, the Macedonians had first given themselves to God. And there, in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, it says, and they exceeded our expectations. Now, you're talking about people, the Macedonians, again, they were not rich. And they, ex they exceeded, exceeded it in our expectations. They gave themselves first, listen now, first of all, to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, also to us. So the Macedonians, friends, were sanctifying their contributions to God's honor by first giving themselves to him, to God. They were totally 
surrendered to him. You see, their giving was about lordship, not legalism. And this is what makes Christian giving different from any other kinds of giving. Listen, listen. giving spiritually is giving first to God. All resources come from God, right? Can we agree with that? All resources come from God, right? So giving is directing God's resources back to God for his distribution. Huh? Friends, when you and I, when we give ourselves first to God, we then give him all we have to be called for and disposed of according to his will. So question, are you totally surrendered to God? Are you? Think about that. As a believer, as a follower of God, are you totally surrendered to him? Number four, the misperceptions. The misperceptions about giving. And I'm going to give you three of them. The misperceptions about giving. The first one is this. The church just wants my money. The church just wants my money. Now, there is some truth to that in some churches, but not in this church. Okay? Listen, our tithes, our tithes go to pay the bills here at Cry Out Christian Fellowship. To keep the lights on. To maintain the copy machines. To buy paper. To maintain the phones and computers and website and the church app. Your tithes go to pay the, the janitorial supplies, a, a mailing and postage, a security system, a property insurance. It goes to pay medical and dental insurance, life insurance, and workers' comp for your staff here. You give, listen now, to buy toiletries, paper cups, plates, forks, napkins, coffee, creamers, mints, <laughs> sugar, air freshener, and communion supplies. Your ties pay for this facility. This is a 17,000 square feet facility. It's huge, and it's not cheap. Are you guys with me? Your, your, your ties go to pay for the staff's salary. You have three full-time staff and two part-time. And I want to tell you, friends, we're not living lavish lifestyles. We don't live in big fancy homes and drive fancy cars. Not that it's wrong, but we don't. Everything I have on right here is from Ross. Okay? Okay? One, one pant leg is longer than the other. That's why I got to stand like this. And, and it's, why, is Pastor Arnold, why is Pastor Arnold walking like that? Well, don't you know he shops at Ross? And by, and by the way, by the way, the last time that our staff got a raise was in 2012. So we're not in it for the money. If we were, we'd been gone a long time ago. Are you guys with me? You're giving, listen now, to keep your staff working here to bless you. Now, now when I hear people say, well, I, I love, we love Kelly, and we love Pastor Joey, and, and we love Pastor Arnold, and, and we love Lino, and we love Mr. Mike, but yet you're not giving? There's something wrong. You're not giving, but yet you want the benefits of the staff. Are you guys with me? See, we serve you because we love God and because we love you. Got it? So understand that, that you're giving. Yeah, it goes first to God. That one is used to keep your staff here, to continue to bless you. Amen? A church has expenses. 
just like your home does. Right? You receive your money from what? Your employer. Correct? A church receives its money from the congregation. Now, let me ask you a question. If you, if you go into your job and you do your best you can to do what your boss wants, how would you feel if your boss shortchanged you on your paycheck? Let me turn it around. If a church strives to help you in every way God wants it to, how do you think God will feel if you shortchange the church? Hmm? The bottom line is this. Your tithe is used to help make a difference for eternity in the lives of people here in our community and throughout the world. Now, if you don't think that's a worthwhile investment, then just keep your money, man. Just keep your money. And I don't ever want anyone to think that this church is only interested in your money so we can just have it sitting around. Are you guys with me? The next misperception is this, is tithing is Old Testament. Some Christians say, well, since we're New Testament Christians and now that we're under grace and now that we're under the new covenant, okay, not under the old covenant, tithing no longer applies to us. Well, contrary to that belief, tithing is mentioned in the New Testament. And guess what? It's mentioned by Jesus Christ himself. Prove it, I will. Matthew 23, 23. And Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Here we find Jesus saying we should do the latter, taking care of the things like justice and mercy and faithfulness and not neglecting the former, tithing. Jesus is saying we should do both. We should tithe and treat other people like they really matter. Are you guys with me? Now, I've heard some Christians say this, that tithing wasn't in the Old Testament, that was the old law, but now we've been freed from the law. But I never hear Christians arguing that we should commit adultery and murder because we've been freed from the law. Are you guys with me? By the way, tithing was pre-law. Did you know that? It was pre-law, friends. It was established as early as the time of Abraham before the law was established. In Genesis chapter 14, he, Abraham, paid tithes to Melchizedek, the priest. Okay, But the tithing system began during the time of Moses, Leviticus 27 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. Now, now let's, let's just say, let's just say, that tithing is not demanded for a New Testament believer. Let's just say that, okay? Let's just say that, okay, that that's true. But let me say this, and I want you to get this. If an old covenant Jew under law could joyfully give tithes to God, should a new covenant believer under grace do less? Huh? Tithing is a great place to start. Also, if you study, if you do, if you study the New Testament concept of giving, you'll discover that it's based on a much more generous giving than just a tithe. <laughs> Are you guys with me? So if you want to throw out the Old Testament, okay, 
and just go with the New Testament, be my guest. I'll cheer you on. Because you're required in the New Testament to give more than the tenth. Got it? The third one here, this perception is this. I can tithe my time and talents instead of my money. I can tithe my time and talents instead of my money. That could be further from the truth. Now, let's just say, let's just say, let's just say that you can tithe your time. You know, you put a large amount of hours at the church. I'm tithing my time. But how in the world do you measure 10% of your talents? That's like saying that you're going to play the piano or the guitar with one finger. Yeah? Only play 10% of the drum set or only sing, only sing 10% of the worship song. Huh? So let's say you can tie your time and talents. Okay, maybe some people say that. But you just can't do that instead of just tithing your money. You got to tithe your money. Are you guys with me? The truth is nothing in Scripture supports the idea that a tithe is anything else but money. And there's some folks, Christians, love them, good hearts, but they say, you know what? I, I tithe my, my time and I tithe my talents, therefore I don't need to tithe my money. That is not scriptural. That's not scriptural. Now what I want to do the remainder of my time is suggest three ways, say three ways, Okay, to keep to, to help you, excuse me, help you get started in the blessings of tithing. If you ready, say yes. Here we go. Adopt, adopt the mindset that God owns my money. Got it? Adopt the mindset that God owns my money. This is extremely, extremely important to get a hold of. Okay, you are not the owner of your money. God is. I know we don't like to hear this. Okay? But God owns your money, not you. Right? And I don't care if you work 70 hours a week to earn it, it still belongs to God. All of it belongs to Him. Now, now follow me, okay? Your very breath is a gift from God. Can we all agree with that? And if He, if he didn't want you to, if He didn't want you to keep breathing, He would simply keep you from breathing and you would be dead. Your talents, listen now, your talents, your knowledge, and your ability to work and to make money are from God. Your job exists. Your job exists because God allows it to. The fact that they hired you is a gift from God. Amen? Now, I want you to think about that and then tell God if you're bold enough and then tell God he doesn't deserve 10% back. Good luck. Good luck with that because you're wrong. He's God. He wins because it's all his to begin with. Amen? So adopt a mindset, the mindset that God owns something. When you get there, friends, it's awesome. When you come to the reality that, you know what, it's not my money. God has been gracious enough, right, to let me be a steward of that money. But it's not mine. There's so much freedom. When you come to that place, it's not mine. It's his. Amen. So adopt the mindset that God owns my money. The next one is this. Start tithing today. Start tithing today. I don't know what you give. Lino does, our accountant. You're going to become real good friends with Lino now, huh? 
Huh. Lino knows what you give. I don't. But I'm challenging you to put God first with your money by giving back to him even before you pay other bills. But I can't tithe. I can't tithe. Do it anyways. And you see, friends, I got to tell you, I used to say start with 1% and 3% and then 7% and build your way up to 10%, but I realized that's not scriptural. Nothing in Scripture supports that. So I'm saying start at 10%. Start today. You see, and I want to tell you, tithing is not an issue of your finances. It's an issue of your faith. It's an issue of your faith. And when you're tithing, what you're saying is, I'm trusting you, God. I'm trusting you, God, to take care of me, to provide for me like you promised you would. And by the way, friends, we have an app for online giving. So there's no excuse. Huh? Start today. The reality is, most of the people in this church are not giving. And, and if you're not giving, start today. And I'll tell you, God will bless you. Because God blesses obedience. And lastly, learn more about handling God's money in ways that honor him and bring blessings to me. Learn more about handling God's money in ways that honor him and bring blessings to me. And we're going to look at this next week, okay? But I want to say this, okay? You can do this. You can learn more by what? By sermons, by Christian books, on finances, on budgeting, on giving. So we should always be learning about giving, right? About handling God's money in ways that honor him. That honor him, first and foremost, that honor him. And as you honor him, friends, guess what? It will bring blessings to you and I, to us, to me, to you. Amen? So, so I, I wrap this up here. How you and I, how we handle the money that God has graciously entrusted to us is a key indicator, this is now a key indicator of our relationship with him. And it's also a key indicator to those around us as well, especially our families. Especially you men, you fathers, the ones who are called to lead the family, especially you. Your family, listen now, dads, fathers, your family needs to see you living in trusting obedience to God and his word. They need to see that you trust God all the way including your bank balance and even when it's tough to make ends meet. Now, when you fail to do that, fathers, you're telling your family that God isn't big enough to handle it. So what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. Trust God. Say that. Trust God. If you're saved, say amen. Why is it that we trusted God for our salvation, but we can't trust God with our finances. Did he save you? Isn't that something? We trust him for our salvation. I'm saved. I'm heaven bound. I'm going to heaven. Praise God. But when it comes to our finances, we don't trust him with our finances. We hesitate. And he saved you. Don't you think he could take care of your finances? I mean, he spoke this world into existence. Do you think that taking care of your finances is too hard for him? No. You need 
to trust him. And I want to tell you, God, the creator and sustainer of this universe, who gives you the very breath to breathe, can take care of you. When you put him first in your finances, when you trust him totally. And I know, I know it's tough, it's tough to trust. I know. I've been there. Okay, it's tough to trust. But when you trust him, he works. Oh, when you trust God, he works. And he will amaze you and will show you and your family that, yeah, that he's big enough. So do it. And he will reward you and he will be glorified in it. Amen? Let's all stand.